0: Welcome to Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for joining us at Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. To learn more about Clean Capital, go to cleancapital.com and you can also find other episodes there. Today, we are talking with Bill Bush, who is the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer at STEM. STEM is a leading energy storage company. At STEM, Bill manages the company's corporate and project financing efforts uh, and has really helped guide this, the company from a startup to a, a $200 million invested leader in the industry. One of the things we really explore today is how storage is playing in the space, how investors are looking at it, how customers are looking at it. You know, Bill actually comes from the solar space. He had been the CFO at Borrego Solar, another solar company, and had a lot of experience uh, as well in the public accounting side with Ernst & Young and Pricewaterhouse. So uh, we're going to talk about the potential transformational impact of, of energy storage and how STEM is helping to drive it, but also really break down what these deals look like. So look forward to uh, this conversation and also wanted to put a plug in to meet with the team at Clean Capital out at Solar Power International uh, here in August. I'm sorry, in September in Anaheim. And let's get forward with the interview. Bill, thanks so much for joining us on Experts Only Podcast.
1: You're welcome. Pleasure to be here.
0: So I want to talk a little bit about your your personal journey in the space and how you ended up uh, becoming STEM's CFO. But- before getting into uh, STEM, and, and you know, you've worked across uh, the industry and the solar side, the semiconductor side, but you've also worked in you know a lot of non-energy spaces, including in accounting in Ernst and Young and Price Waterhouse. So, was it finance first, energy second? Like, what was your um, what was your draw uh, into sort of the accounting space, and then later on to the energy space?
1: Yeah, I think the accounting space is somewhat simple. I mean, after, you know, kind of in the my last semester at, at Cal, it became pretty obvious that, um, you know, the, the end was near and my parents were, you know, going to cut me off pretty soon. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so a job was uh, a job was important and actually a friend of my father's uh, had suggested that probably public- Counting was a good way to see the world in some sense the french foreign legion i guess and yeah. um and it turned out that way which was you know certainly not predictable but i ended up kind of six years before the mass or almost seven um three here in the u.s or three and a half here in the u.s and about three and a half over in germany and did actually travel the world with my uh, with my green eye shade so it was uh you know it was a great experience for me i mean it was you know it was a great Introduction to business. And uh, I I feel very fortunate to have gotten started that way, in that you got to see a lot of different types of businesses. And I happen to have been in Germany uh, about a year after the unification. And so got to travel all throughout Eastern Europe. Um, You know, at that time, the dollar was very attractive. And so there was a lot of acquisitive activity, particularly between US. Uh, in German companies, but also in uh, Czechoslovakia, or what was then Czechoslovakia, <laughs> right. um, Hungary, Poland, and you know many of the Eastern, uh, you know the former Eastern Bloc countries. So um, it was a pretty exciting time to have been over there, and as a result, it kind of, you know, I would say you know you only get so many adventures in life, and that was certainly a, a great starter one for me, and kind of set up a whole bunch of other um, things that, that transpired after that. So. So I wouldn't have to say, I would say it was necessarily planned, but it, it certainly worked out pretty well. Right. Where were you living in Germany? I lived in Munich.
0: Oh, beautiful. I was uh, stationed in just north of Frankfurt for a few years when I was in the army. Oh, and I yeah. loved it over there. And so coming from Germany, did you go back to the Bay Area?
1: I did. Uh, I came back to the Bay Area in, I guess, kind of late 93, early 94, when the market just wasn't so great for jobs right. at that time. I mean, it was kind of, um, you know, not quite the recession of 2007, 2008, but it was, you know, pretty grim. And, you know, pure serendipity, a client that we had done, one of the last big transactions that I'd done, I mean, Allied Signal had bought a large German brake manufacturer called Knorr Bremse, and um, they had, you know, basically had done the diligence for the for the review of the company in basically all of all of Europe and South America and they offered me a job in in Los Angeles which um, actually I was from as is my wife and so we we moved down there and so I kind of got involved in really my first foray into heavy manufacturing yeah it was a quite an anomaly a non-union manufacturing shop making turbochargers for trucks Wow. Uh, and airplanes in los angeles so <laughs> right um <laughs> you know it's kind of that plant's no longer there but at that time we were literally um you know bringing metal uh and aluminum from the midwest from smeltering plants in the midwest and machining it in california and then shipping it back to the midwest to put on large trucks for caterpillars detroit diesel and navistar so it's pretty crazy yeah.
0: yeah so as you're raising up sort of the the finance ranks right into being a comptroller and and uh, you know later on CFO, what what started to attract you into the energy
1: space? You know, I think um, I was always I always have been interested in uh, conservation. I'm mean, way back when I was a boy scout and all that sort of stuff, and so you know I think that was the angle that kind of drew me into solar really, as opposed right. to energy. So I wouldn't I wouldn't really say that it was energy. It was really more the renewable aspects of solar that kind of got me interested in it. Um, and then from there, just you know, you know, having had a, a pretty strong finance background, raising money and, and doing a lot of um, assistance with pre public and public companies, uh, solar was a, you know particularly in the two thousand seven two thousand eight time period was a you know a high growth area that had just had a lot of opportunities going, and so it was kind of a natural fit for me when
0: you walked it so was brago your first role in the solar space
1: no i worked for a a smaller company called solar semiconductor which was a um it was a u.s company but we were um, focused on the indian market and we actually um, built a um, module manufacturing plant both cell conversion and um, module assembly in india in in a city called um Boy, I'm spacing on the name right now um, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible um, in uh, in central India so um, you know we kind of got started right there uh, doing that and and then that company unfortunately um, ran into some trouble it was it was basically an OEM shop um, for sun power and for Q cells and that you know the the market for the manufacturer panels became incredibly difficult. I was actually talking with a friend the other day and what we used to charge to assemble the panels in India, mind you, is actually more than you would pay for a full panel today. Wow, that's amazing! So, so, when you think about like just kind of benchmarks in the in the industry, that's pretty crazy. And and we were, you know, I mean, I we were literally, you know, it's almost embarrassing to say the amount of money that we were paying folks in India to assemble these things wasn't very much. Right, um, and the fact that you can actually buy a full panel for that is it's totally insane.
0: So you've sort of seen the whole spectrum of really the market, right? In the hockey stick that's taken off, you know, sort of post two thousand eight. And, you know, in, in your role uh, on the, the the accounting side and the CFO side, the finance side, you know, what are what are the things that, that you know, what are some of the big lessons you've you've learned as that, that hockey stick really hit?
1: And I think, you know, certainly I think folks really almost to the exclusion of really what? Happen on the financing side. And, you know, I mean, maybe that's because it's, you know, maybe my focus or where I spend a lot of time, but I, I think the cost certainly enabled the market. So it certainly expanded the TAM or you know, however you want to think about, you know, how many systems can be installed. But a lot of the innovation that that made solar um the powerhouse that it's become is really on the finance side. That yeah, I agree. Uh, it became an asset, it became an asset class. Where, you know, certainly when I got started in, I guess it was kind of late 2006, looking at solar and helping some friends out do some you know, some money raising and that sort of thing. I mean, solar wasn't an asset class. Nobody was investing in solar in any kind of institutional way. And, you know, it was really kind of in the, you know, really on the margins. And that innovation that occurred, I mean, certainly, you know, a lot of it's on the residential side because those are the, the bigger companies. You know, Sunrun, SolarCity, right. you know, those, those sorts of guys they kind of taken up a lot of, uh, you know, say the, the top line headspace of folks. But, you know, there's been a ton of innovation um, that's occurred that has made solar an investable quantity um, for large uh, institutional customers and, and clients to put money into. And so, um, you know, do you think about that from that standpoint? And it's it's been a, it's a been a pretty wild ride.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you talked about the, the panel example, you know, the, the efficiency that have happened across that the entire market. Uh, obviously, in the financing side, I mean, this is what we do at Clean Capital, right? Is we we've now taken that efficiency and now taking it to a a, a new market of investors. And I think you know we'll, we'll see. We're not we're a little bit further away on storage, but but storage is newer and it's a it's a it's a less mature market, but it's really coming on, hitting that hockey stick. And you guys are right in the middle of it. So going from going from the solar space to to STEM, what sort of what what, what was the thing that attracted you there, and then you know, in that sort of talk a little bit about, about, about STEM and, and what you do.
1: Sure. And so I think what attracted me to STEM was the ability to get in on a, on the ground floor of a newer industry. I mean, much like when I got into to solar uh, in 2007, you know, it was really, a, it was an industry. I mean, it's still obviously growing substantially and, you know, there's more to do there, but storage is, is probably more similar to what solar was in the kind uh, of two thousand eight, two thousand nine, maybe two thousand ten time frame, and so that was you know having spent you know a significant part of my career in in startup and startup style opportunities, the storage opportunity was was just too good to, to pass up, and I think the STEM team, uh, you know, our CEO John Carrington has been in the space for now, I think he's in his fifth or sixth year as CEO of STEM. You, know, you just had a you had a group of folks that had pretty deep energies and uh, had been around the block in some larger corporations and you know had seen you know big stories uh, and and been an integral member of the in the growth in those stories. So to me, it was it was kind of a you know it was kind of a natural fit where I looked at the the executive team that was in place then, the market itself, and some of the what I thought I you know the financing innovations could be you know, having ported a lot of that or the ability to port that over from solar and so for stem it, it just kind of made you know a lot of made a lot of sense for me i mean i think as you know and as a company what we're really focused on much like we were in solar was is you know, bringing energy independence to our customers with a focus on the commercial industrial space i mean we do it um with the batteries but really where all the smarts are is in all the software right um you know we, we have a branded solution called Athena. Uh, and that's really where all of the intelligence is. I mean, the you know, much, you know, the batteries and solar panels are are strikingly similar in that they don't have any intelligence in them whatsoever. I mean, both are reacting to other things, panels reacting to, you know, the sun coming up and, and shining. And really that's, that's it. I mean, there's really, there's no intelligence associated with that stuff at all uh, and batteries kind of somewhat similar. So it's the Athena solution, which I think, um, really makes you know what we do at STEM particularly interesting. We're you know we're helping customers become energy independent, flatten their loads, and at the same time, I mean, in our customers really span two basic groups. I mean, you have commercial industrial customers, and we work significantly with utilities. And so both you know we provide a service to both of those two groups, as opposed to you know when I one one of the things that I thought about when I came from from solar into storage was that it felt like which has come to to be true is it felt like you know we were fighting with utilities the whole way i mean borrego has a very large presence on the northeast and the number of arguments that we had with some of the utilities out there and here in california as well it kind of got a little tiring whereas in the on the storage side we actually are are working with the utilities Mm -hmm. and we're helping solve some of the problems that storage actually you know, honestly, it's created on the grid. And so, um, you know, not, not that those problems aren't, aren't solvable, but I think, um, you know, so you're kind of, you're not really in that adversarial position, um, that we were before. And so, uh, you know, that was, that was definitely an attractive component of this as well.
0: So, t- yeah. So you, you going back to the earlier conversation about sort of efficiencies being driven across the marketplace and solar and, and bringing down costs. And now, you know, it's not just an industry, it's the Largest job creator right now in the country, right? But yep. you know, everyone for a while has talked about storage being the the game changer, right? And I, I think now people are saying the game change is happening. So are you starting to see those same efficiencies happen across the storage space? And and do you see do you expect sort of acceleration of that hockey stick? Because people are now familiar with the way, for instance, a power purchase agreement works, or you know, distributed generation has come along so 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 much further than, for instance, when it was in two thousand eight with with solar.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the things that will be interesting to see is how solar plus storage works, right? Um, and so, standalone storage itself, it, it's much more similar to you know a Resi style model. So the contract that we use is much like you know, it's about five pages long uh, you know, as opposed to the minimum 30, 40 page PPAs that we did, you know, where a commercial space, um, when I was at Borrego. So it has a lot of the attributes there and you don't have the complexity, you know, so the, both the good and the bad of not having an ITC is that you don't have the ITC, but you also don't have the negative associated right. with the transfer of, of equipment. So, you know, certainly, you know, there's a, you know, there's a positive and a negative there. But you know, as we look at our customers, to the extent that we, you know, that we're going to have a default, and, and you know, there's defaults on the solar side, and there will be defaults on the storage as well. Um, you're actually able to move that equipment to another customer, and you know, obviously with the ITC, that's a that's a much more challenging conversation. So the financing component of of storage is a lot simpler, where you're really just looking at, at cash flows. You know, portion of which could be a part of a utility program. Portion of which um, could be uh, through a revenue stream that the customer generates, or your or some third avenue. But you're really just looking at contracted at those, the net present value of those contracted cash flows. And I think the other really interesting part, and this is where I think we, you know, this is where the Athena solution comes in, is the ability to to stack revenue streams on the same box. And you know, which. I think has long been discussed and we're actually doing that today. And so, you know, if you think about, you know, how we're generating revenue through these boxes uh, in certain cases, we have two and three different revenue streams rolling through the same box. And that's where uh, I think the storage industry gets really interesting. If you compared it to pretty much any other uh, source, you know, energy source, kind of talking like, you know, if you had a, a solar system, you're just generating electrons and you're pushing those into the grid and you're selling them, you know, either through a PPA or maybe you're, you know, in some other uh, revenue source. But for this, I mean, we have the ability to use the same equipment to generate additional value for the customer, which we would share in, or additional value for a uh, utility and all of those things, you know, without, without additional cap CapEx uh, investment. And so, that's, I think, that's where storage gets really interesting. So, talk, the ability. Talk,
0: talk a little bit about that. Right. So, so add some color, right? So, if you've got the Athena box, right, and the, yep. the the software around it, are you guys agnostic to the actual battery itself, or are you guys using a specific?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, well, you guys- we do use, yeah. So, we do. We are. A tech, we're completely technology ag- agnostic. I mean, the technology that we have is the software. Right. We load that software into uh, a. What we call an ESS or energy storage system, which is, which is a combination of batteries and inverters, as well as some other electronic components. But generally, that that's what that is. And so, what we're doing, you know, but at, you know, there is obviously, you know, and by the way, is your team
0: done. helping to engineer that whole like system? Is it a turnkey solution that you're bringing? It just happens to be the Athena software that's driving it. Or
1: no, it's so it's we're looking to buy completed componentry. Gotcha. So we want to buy an ESS from someone and then put our software on top of it. So it's actually in the form of what we call a power monitor or a power controller. Yep. And the software then gets downloaded from the Amazon cloud and, and runs that battery. But the battery, so we're completely agnostic. Like So today we use a lithium ion solution. I mean, it's, you know, for today, uh, it's the most cost effective solution out there that yep. you know, allows us to deliver demand charge savings to our customers that doesn't mean that tomorrow we couldn't use some other software that had achieved, you know, so this is where it gets, you know, um, a little bit more interesting is the software isn't, isn't dependent on upon a particular technology. So if we can get another technology to save money for a customer, then we can implement that. Assuming, you know, we can get that through a financing solution.
0: So I'm a commercial industrial customer, right? And, and, and you guys are then bringing that, that solution to, to my campus or my, you know, my warehouse, and you're putting those, those batteries and that, that energy, uh, would you say the energy storage solution, the ESS, um, at my facility. And then you, your team is, does your team then manage that going back to those multiple revenue streams, right? Are, Are you guys managing those different revenue streams? How do I contract with you as the customer?
1: So what our, our basic basic solution with a customer is that we go in, we take their utility data, we analyze that, and we figure out how much money we think that we can save them through demand charges.
0: Right. At
1: the same time, we also are looking at other ways. And so, for instance, we have a contract with Southern California Edison um, where we, there's two revenue streams that roll into those boxes. One is a resource adequacy payment from Southern California Edison. And the second is the demand charge savings payment from the customer. That box, hmm. so we're building down in Southern California a fully distributed energy power plant, virtual power plant. Uh, when, the, when the plant is completed, there'll be somewhere between two and three thousand sites across a number of industries. And we'll be able to hit the boxes at various times, either to have demand charge savings or provide um, capacity to a utility and so that's what we're that's what we're building down in la right now and we're doing that in other markets as well so that's an example a concrete example of a, a system where we we're, we're with a particular installation generating multiple revenue streams using the same equipment now there's a possibility that we could a third revenue stream in there so as a for instance here like in Northern California what we do, Uh, generally, is there's S chip revenue. So there's actually three revenue streams. So you have S chip revenue, which is obviously is an incentive program. Then you have demand charge savings to a customer, and then you can also enroll that system in DRAM. And so in Northern California, you know, say not just Northern California, but you know, throughout California, in S chip systems, you can have three revenue streams rolling into those boxes today. So the question becomes: Can I continue um, to increase the amount of revenue? that that box can generate while managing the battery right so you can't like crush the battery throughout and this is where scale comes in where you want to you know so if i want to be able to deliver you know energy in a dram program i i need a network so that you know because you can imagine you know think of across a number of customers like so i have you know manufacturing plant maybe i have a school well schools aren't great because batteries can't export schools you know, aren't so great after four or five o'clock. Right. You know, they and don't the have get load. Right. Yeah, or the weekend, summer. <laughs> right, right. You know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, so they're not great from that standpoint, but they are great, you know, for certain time periods. And so, what you really want to have is a fully distributed base of customers across a number of industries so that as, you know, say as a DRAM call comes, I can, you know, then this is really where the logic of the software comes in is it can you know, discharge against a school saving power for that manufacturing plant later in the afternoon
0: interesting so, and just just for our listeners so for folks that don't know s chip is the self generation incentive program in california that basically provides uh, a lot of incentive based financing to to things like fuel cells or energy storage and dram is a demand response program right that that you guys are right. actively would, would actively call on uh, a company like stem to to help them balance the load one so if if i'm the customer right for schools maybe not be the biggest example but i'm i'm a, you know i'm a, I'm a fedex f- warehouse facility right or i'm a uh I'm, I'm a walmart your your benefit to us is we're saving money by not having to pay the demand charges that's right to the utility yeah
1: so the way the yeah the way your utility bill works and, and this is probably unknown to a lot of folks is that You, your demand charge rate is set based on a 15 minute interval during your month. So the way this thing is, you know, so you could be, you know, just on your best behavior throughout the month. And if you miss in a particular 15 minute cycle, then your demand charges can go through the roof. And so that's really where, what the the predictive nature of the Athena software is, is it's looking at your, you know, both your historical trends. And what's going on in the market, and it's setting what we call um, at peaks, so that you are below that particular peak, and you're man. And by doing that, you're managing the amount of demand charge payment that you're going to have to make. So it doesn't eliminate demand charges. It could, but generally we don't um, because the amount of power that you would have to have, you know, would be you know extreme it wouldn't make you know economic sense but much like you know kind of on the residential solar position you're trying to make sure you don't don't get into you want to minimize the amount of peaking that's happening and flattening that curve across your entire bill month
0: right and so as you as you and I to change the first of all this is incredibly helpful And i think folks will get a better understanding of uh, understanding of how this this works If as you start to look then to finance these, you know, sort of in your role as CFO, are, you know, there's the virtual power plant concept, right? Which is a, I think, as yep. you said, multiple thousands of, of projects. But are you financing them at, at an individual level? So, you know, for instance, that project at a, you know, commercial industrial plant in, in, in San Diego is an individual sort of LLC that's financed, or are you financing it across that big portfolio? Or both? So we're
1: doing it both ways. <laughs> yeah put <laughs> it both ways which makes it kind of fun so um and, and it's almost based on you know on the size so for that situation that i mentioned about you know with southern california edison i mean it's what we call the lcr contract with southern california edison that is one financing structure which is effectively like a bucket that we're filling so we're finding customers we're deploying batteries we're signing uh, we're signing demand charge savings agreements with those customers and then we're enrolling them in this LCR program with Southern California Edison which which allows them to uh, get this resource capacity payment and you get an additional energy payment when Southern California Edison calls or makes a call uh, to our our virtual power plant our VPP so right now those systems in Southern California uh, in a, two particular load zones, they get a customer payment. So we sign a, a contract with a customer, which has, typically has a, um, a performance guarantee associated with it, and then we have uh, a contract with Southern California Edison, which brings a fixed monthly payment hmm. and a variable payment uh, based on how many times uh, Southern California Edison calls the battery. So those, you know, so those systems have three payments today. Um, and then, you know, like I mentioned, you know, in S-Chip territory, which is California, again, self-generating incentive program, um, those can have as many as two or three um, revenue streams associated with those boxes. So that's stacking of revenue, and then in other markets in Hawaii, um, we, we do even more stacking there. Um, that's really where this industry gets pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the more know,
0: stacking, the less variable, right? The, the,
1: the, the, exactly. The investors, yeah. of course, I mean, that's great, too. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, you think about it from the you know, I have no additional CapEx. So effectively, the that additional revenue that rolls in, you know, to the extent there's any variable expense associated with the generation of that, which largely there's none, um, that just rolls right to the investors. And so it becomes very interesting um, from the standpoint of a financing uh, opportunity.
0: And do you guys so own and operate then those those systems because of the software? You've got teams that'll 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 roll out to site if necessary, or are you contracting right. that out?
1: No, so we own. Yeah, so we are owners and operators. So we're really a full stack developer. Right. So we do the initial site development. Um, we do the construction. All the so we outsource the actual construction work, and uh, then. Um, you know, so we'll, we will then enroll the systems in whatever particular programs, and then we'll operate that across uh, the contract time period. Excellent. And so, um, you know, obviously, in, you know, we're, we're using an investor to, to help us um, finance these systems, but that's, you know, our, we're, we're involved through the entire um, value stream. Right. And so kind of your earlier question was, do we do it, you know, kind of, so we have buckets. So, you know, generally if the systems are, you know, kind of think of the way we finance things are almost from a programmatic standpoint. So like that LCR program is one kind of structure that we're doing. Then in other territories, we are, you know, much like solar was single asset, single LLC. Interesting. And so it really kind of depends on market system size uh, and a couple of other factors like that. Bill, this is
0: really helpful. I think, you know, I think there's so many questions in the industry of how this works and, you know, how, if, if, for instance, if I'm a, a customer, if I have a solar site, you know how would I engage with with a stem or, or, or another storage company to tie in? And you know, I, I agree with you. It's going to be really exciting to see where that part of the industry goes because it's it's sort of the next step forward for 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 most of us. And I think really uh, on the investor side, understanding what those packages start to look like um, yep. it, it will be real exciting. So I know uh, yeah. Paula and your team wanted me ask a bunch of policy questions. I'm going to have her on mm-hmm. another episode to talk about policy because that's a whole different ball game here and uh yeah.
1: she's much better versed that yeah than me. so i i would i would defer in all of those questions anyways
0: yeah that's good because i feel like you know for for the energy procurers out there they're they're wrestling with 50 different energy fiefdoms right when you talk come down to policy yeah, and how exactly. do you exactly how do you you know storage is great in california probably not gonna be able to pull it off in, in here in Virginia yet, right? So
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah, I mean I think that's the you know that's the common problem in the US. I mean, you know, but I think one of the things that we're very focused on, and I think this is a big difference between, you know, say my solar past and my storage present and future, is that we're we're focused on markets where we can deliver the services that Athena provides on a non-incentive based methodology right so no no itc and you know really sg i mean sgip as a as a percentage of our business is declining pretty rapidly so we're really focused on markets where we can deliver today uh, a fully incentivized unincentivized um, solution to a customer and we're when we're doing that today in, in a variety of markets so it's i think that's the i mean if i thought about you know what was the different you know one of the what are the, some of the primary differences between solar and storage. You know, we're, and I, you know, kind of going back to one of the earlier points I made is, you know, storage is kind of in the kind of 08, 09, 2010 environment where, you know, there was still CSI right. and um, you know, either ITC or the grant, which most people have long since forgotten. But yeah. um, That's right. You know, those, those, yeah, those programs have never existed for storage. And so, you know, when we look at some of the markets, like we announced recently that we're getting involved in Canada there's no incentive associated with the installation of those systems whatsoever. I mean, that's a fully market driven um, competitive offering against other forms of energy procurement.
0: So I've got one final question, but before getting to that, if you could leave, if you could give one elevator pitch to a possible investor on why they should be coming into the storage space, what would that be?
1: I think it is a market that provides investors cash flows demonstrable estimable cash flows in a way that also provides success for the underlying customer right and so i think that visibility that storage provides in an unincentivized world is something that i think is pretty appealing to investors we see that every day uh, and you know as we're out you know talking to folks well
0: i look forward to exploring ways to get you guys incorporated some of our customers out there that we're working with and you know one bill one final question i sort of ask everyone on my show you know if you could go back to yourself coming out of uh, coming out of college when uh, you know someone told you to take <laughs> accounting because it would get you a job what piece of advice would you give yourself now
1: i think it's i think it's still pretty similar i think you know i i think what has you know has helped me through my career is flexibility so I think having a platform to, to grow on right. is super important. And, you know, I think one of the things that I learned, you know, a long time ago was look for businesses which generate cash flow. And, you know, that's really, you know, and I think storage is one. I think, uh, you know, so I, I think, you know, if I was to provide somebody some advice, I, that's what I would look at is businesses that have the opportunity to grow and generate cash, which will nurture them uh, over the longer time period.
0: Outstanding! It's good advice. I think for investors too, right? So,
1: <laughs> Bill, be. yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> Bill, thank you so much for the time today. I really appreciate it, and uh, I know a lot of people are really excited about what stems up to, and we'll be interested to hear uh, hear hear this conversation. So, thank you so much. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Bill Bush, the CFO at Stem. There are so many questions uh, and so much interest around energy storage. We're going to have a few more episodes on this. And really help sort of break down the barriers so we can help better understand how this transformational technology is really going to move the energy sector forward. You can find more episodes at cleancapital.com. And I'd like to put a special thanks out for our producers, uh, Lauren Clickman, Emily Connor, and our intern Greg Phillips. And thank you to you for listening. I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you.